Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Moses and the Israelites had been through quite a journey. They had been in slavery to Egypt for generations. In fact, long enough that the uh, Hebrew people uh, that were alive knew nothing but slavery. It's all their parents had known. It's all that had been known for generations. Uh, uh, that, meant, uh, that meant hard labor. It meant beatings. It meant uh, uh, poor food. It meant no chance for anything, of, uh, anything better in life than that. It meant no hope even though they clung to their faith because that's all they had. And in the middle of this, the time came for Moses to be, to raise up as, be, be risen up as their leader. God called Moses, uh, saw, uh, spoke to him through a burning bush. Just last week uh, with our guest preacher, Janice, she shared with us the story of the burning bush. Well, you know how the story goes, right? Uh, uh, Moses uh, be, uh, talks with Pharaoh. Uh, they eventually leave, uh, uh, escape from slavery. Uh, the Red Sea parts, they go across the Red Sea, and then comes the big question of then what? <laughs> what do they do? This is a people who know nothing but slavery. They don't have laws. They don't have the basics of civilization, let alone food and drink. And so God leads them to a mountain as the first stop, a mountain that they know is somehow different than other mountains or, well, maybe not that different. Maybe it's just that God helped them to see it with this one. And Moses goes, climbs up the mountain, and while he is there, the people see a pillar of cloud, and they hear the rumbling of thunder that they just know in their hearts to be the voice of God speaking to Moses. And as the story goes, Moses receives the law that guided the Hebrew people for generation after generation and is still a, a spiritual structure that guides Jews today and is the foundation of our own religion. It is a remarkable story. At one point in it, Moses even asks boldly, after all of this experience of speaking with God, he asks if he can see God, if he would be granted the blessing of seeing God. And God's response is that you could not see me and live. It would be more than your mortal body could experience. But God, being a God of grace and mercy, says, but I'll tell you what, Moses, hide in this cleft in the rock. Ever heard the, the hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me? Let me hide myself in thee. This is where it comes from. God says, Moses, hide in this rock and I will pass by you. And then you may see my back. And so Moses does. And the experience must have been more than could possibly be recorded in words. But then, as Moses comes down from the mountain, we're going to skip the whole golden calf thing for the minute, okay? As Moses comes down from the mountain, something's different about him. Just from the experience of being so close to God, something is different about him. Let me read to you from Exodus, what is this, uh, chapter 34, verses 29 through 33 here. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two covenant tablets in his, in his hand on which the law was written, Moses didn't realize that the skin of his face shone brightly, like shone like, like shined, right? Shone brightly because he had been talking with God. 
When Aaron and the Israelites saw the skin of Moses' face shining brightly, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them closer. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. Moses spoke with them. After that, all the Israelites came near as well. And Moses commanded them everything that, God, that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. You know, I kind of see this as uh, what it means, the fear of the Lord, right? Sometimes when we see even a sliver of the glory of God reflected in another person, we're afraid to come close. It's not fear of the Lord as in like mortal fear or danger. It's fear as in this is, this is more than I can handle. When Moses finished speaking with them, remember his face shining with light, he put a veil over his face probably to keep the people from being afraid. <laughs> he knew that he was just a man after all. All right, fast forward. Fast forward a long time, hundreds of years, to the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah had, uh, had been part of many powerful expressions of God's might. You can go read the stories. Some of them are actually rather disturbing. But at this point in Elijah's journey, where we join in today... It is not so, hmm, easy as if it ever was. At this point in it, uh, the uh, enemies want Elijah dead. And so he's fleeing through the desert. A desert is oftentimes in the metaphor, literal, but also a metaphor for when we walk through the dry places of life, when we don't know what to do, when God feels to us to be distant. So Mo, or Elijah is going through the desert and he's hungry. And uh, a psychologist look back and think clearly Elijah was depressed. I mean, th this, is, this is clinical depression. If only we had had the DSM-5, you know, that psychologists use to diagnose. If only we had had it, surely he would have been diagnosed. He wasn't eating. He was sleeping all of the time. Uh, and in the middle of this, God sends angels and God sends, uh, what is it, crows, ravens? I forgot the bird. One of the two, God sends with food to help him eat. Uh, and the angel says, Elijah, wake up, stop sleeping, eat. You have to stay strong. Your job, your work is not done. God still has purpose for you. And Elijah, as he's on this journey, this dark journey of depression, fearing for his life while thinking of taking his life, he comes upon Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai, right? That's the one Moses was on a few hundred years ago. And he climbs it, hoping that this will be the place he meets God. And as he is on the mountain, he has an incredible experience. But I hope you don't bring any preconceptions of what that incredible experience was like. The Lord said... This is in 1 Kings, by the way, chapter 19, if you want to look it up later. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. Remember the story of Moses? God was, he was going to hide in the cleft and the, and, and the Lord would pass by. It says, stand out on the mountain. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains, broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin 
quiet. When Elijah heard this thin, quiet sound, he wrapped his face in his coat. It was more than he could handle, this sound of silence. And he went and stood at the cave's entrance, and a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? It was the voice of God. Not in glory, not in thunder, not in wind, in earthquake or in fire. But it was the voice of God on the mountain in a silence that inspired the fear of the Lord in Elijah, who so desperately needed it. Okay, fast forward again. Fast forward again, hundreds of years to the time of Jesus. Jesus' disciples had been following from face to face. Jesus knew that the time was about to begin for him to, as, as uh, what is it, Luke's gospel, I think, puts it, to set his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, his mind was made up. It was time to walk on the journey to the cross. But before he does... He takes the inner circle of his disciples, those that were his closest friends, the very closest among all of his friends. And, well, this is how Luke records it. About eight days after Jesus said these things from before, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying... The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes flashed white like lightning. You know how much bleach they had in Jesus' days? Not much. <laughs> his clothes were white like lightning, and his face shined. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him on top of this mountain as they all shone with light. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would soon achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those who were with him were almost overcome by sleep. What a strange response, huh? But they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it's good that we are here. We should construct three shrines. <laughs> That's an even odder response, isn't it? Peter, he's just talking. He doesn't know what he's saying, I don't think. We should con construct three shrines, one for Moses, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But, Luke writes, he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. Remember Moses? It was the cloud on the mountain through which God spoke. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless. And at the time, 
told no one what they had seen. I have to share with you the image that you see on the screen this morning is one I came across only yesterday. This is a, a mosaic from the Cathedral of the Transfiguration, a cathedral named after this story in Kiev, Ukraine. You know, I am in my heart a mystic wannabe. <laughs> That's a label that I will easily put on myself. I have never had an experience anywhere close to the ones we just read about. But there was this one moment in my own life, and it was actually the moment that I eventually figured out was God changing the course of my life, eventually leading to me becoming a pastor. In college, a couple times, I had thought about going to seminary, not because I wanted to be a pastor, that hadn't even crossed my mind, but just because I thought it would be fun to study theology. By the way, experienced pastors will tell you that's a red flag right there, but that's another thing. <laughs> and uh, this was a, about a year, oh, two years after college. I was working a job, I had a career that was growing, that was uh, growing well, uh, with lots of opportunity ahead of me. And I found myself looking at a seminary website again. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not married. You know, I don't have a life established yet. I've got a great career. So if I were ever gonna do, if I were actually gonna go to seminary, the logical time would be now, I thought. And somehow that thought struck me. And I stared to the side of my computer screen, like I'm, I'm picturing it right now where I was. I stared to the side of my computer screen. Oh, I'll bet it was 30 seconds, but it felt like an hour. And something had happened in that moment. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but it's what I think of. It's the experience that I think of when I read these stories. Even though perhaps only the smallest of slivers of it. I think part of me has been chasing that moment, that experience ever since. The closest I've ever come is in silence. You know, I'm one who likes to learn. I'm one who likes to read. I listen to audiobooks and podcasts at double speed. That's just, my wife hears it and thinks, why are you listening to chipmunks? And I say, no, that's a podcast on existentialism. Yeah. Once again, another red flag, right? <laughs> but somehow in silence and in stillness, that's the closest I ever come to finding that moment again. You know, there are stories of some of the great mystics, Julian of Norwich, John of the Cross, Thomas Merton, a more recent American mystic. You know, as a result of all this, and as a result of these stories, I really have very little time for people, well, not for the people, I have very little time for books and thoughts of people who try to prove faith who try to look at archaeological references and prove these stories that they happened. Uh, I honestly have very little time for them because faith, faith is a way of life based on what we cannot see. Faith is a way of life based on what we cannot explain, but that we know deep down is true. I also have very little time for those who fixate on religion. 
funny for a pastor to say that, right? Religion, you see, is the container, not the water. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not rich enough for, uh, to be uh, really, uh, truly into wine, but I know this. Certain wine glasses are better for focusing the aroma of the wine when you drink it, right? But if all you do is think about the glass you're missing the point. That's how religion is. You know, religion is an important container. You can't drink the wine without the cup, right? But it's not the point. I will say two things about these three stories that we just heard, though, that I think might help understand at least a little and might be worth saying. The stories of Moses, of Elijah, and of Jesus on the mountain. The first is this. All of those stories involved struggle. Moses and the Israelites, the Hebrew people, had just been through a terrible time of slavery and they were about to go through more struggle with 40 years in the desert. And their experience came in the midst of it. Elijah was depressed to near death and there were more hard days ahead of him too. Jesus' disciples, well, never mind the fact that they had to climb a literal mountain for that experience to happen. That's hard enough, physically hard, right? Their difficult time was about to start as they walked with Jesus to the cross. All of these stories involve struggle. And the second is that they all show that God is stronger than human weakness. You know, Moses, in the middle of this story, comes back down the mountain to share the stories and to share the, uh, God's goodness with the people. And he found they had, uh, taken, a, they had uh, taken all of their jewelry and smelted it down to make a calf, a golden calf to worship. Talk about missing the point. Moses was so mad, he had to go back up the mountain to cool down a little bit. (laughs) But God was still greater than human weakness. Elijah was looking in all the wrong places for God. He was looking in the wind and in the fire and in the earthquakes. But despite Elijah's illusions of grandeur, God was greater and came to him in silence. Jesus' disciples make fools of themselves up on the mountain. They can barely stay awake, and Peter just words come out of his mouth about making a shrine. Even Luke says that uh, in, in the gospel, says that he didn't know what he was saying. But their worthiness was never the point. God's grace is always greater. You know, it's traditional to read the story of the transfiguration on the week before Lent starts. I kind of see it as a party right before we buckle down. It's kind of like the church's version of Fat Tuesday and Carnival, right? We read this story of glory. We read this story uh, in, in part as a celebration before we buckle down and really double, double down on our efforts uh, to be faithful uh, for the season of Lent. It's also a reminder that as we set off on Lent, which is our climb up the mountain, so to speak, to the celebration of Easter, this is our reminder that the climb is worth it. This week is Ash Wednesday, and we're going to have our service at 6.30. Uh, I hope you all will come. Uh, I, uh, it is going to be online too, so if you're not able to come or if you're not comfortable yet, you can join us there. We had lots of talks about how we were going to do it with the ashes, and I still lament not being able to use actual ashes, but we decided, um, those that I talked with, that we, we all weren't quite ready to breathe on each other quite that closely yet. So, uh, kind of like last year and kind of like 
like we're doing communion these days, at least for now. We're going to have little cups of oil when you come in, and we will anoint ourselves with oil. However, I will have ashes present, and we'll read great scriptures. Then, next Sunday, we start the journey of Lent, our climb up the mountain to Easter. Uh, I am going to challenge us as a church this Lent to read the Gospel of John together. We tried to do this a couple weeks ago with the Gospel of Luke, and the start of the pandemic uh, kind of interrupted that journey. Uh, so we're going to try it again with the Gospel of John. It's my personal favorite Gospel, and one that's, uh, one that's a little more, hmm... A little more, it goes a little deeper into just the stories. I think that you will enjoy it. So when you come next Sunday, we'll have a bookmark for you that has the readings that we're going to do together as a church, and I hope that you will follow along. It's not hard, just a few minutes a day. But for now, I don't want to leave you with some kind of great explanation of the transfiguration because I have none to give. But I do want to leave you with two quotes. Two quotes that aren't from Bible times, they're more recent than that. But they're mystical visions of what awaits on the other side of the climb. Now, the first one is from the desert Abbas and Amas. Now, the uh, Abbas and Amas, they were uh, a group of Christians, early Christians, so I'm talking about the first century or two after Jesus, who went off into the desert to try to escape the, uh, the distractions of the world and to live a life of pure prayer. They were kind of the forerunners of what we now call monks and nuns, but they were earlier. Their writings, quite frankly, are kind of all over the place, and they're hard to read. But there are a few bits that stand out and resonate. This is one of them. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office. Office is a, a way of praying, like a regular prayer every day. I, I, I try as far as I can to say my little office. I fast a little, I pray and meditate. I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? The, then the old man stood up and stretched his hands towards heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to him, If you will, you can become all flame. Now, the second quote, don't put it up just yet, if you would, back there. Uh, the second quote is from Thomas Merton. This is an American mystic from 1958 is when this particular thing happened. He was in Louisville at the corner of 4th and Walnut. And I will tell you, I got on Google this morning and found what 4th and Walnut looked like uh, in Louisville, because, you know, it's still there, of course. Uh, they renamed the street, so if anybody wants to look on Google Maps yourself, uh, it's called uh, Muhammad Ali Boulevard now, uh, and there's a plaque for Thomas Merton. But he was in Louisville at the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of a shopping district. These days, it's a CVS, which I think is perfect. <laughs> this is no cathedral, no beautiful scene of nature, it's just just a shopping district that was filled with people. And Thomas Merton was suddenly overwhelmed with love for all of the people that were around him shopping. He felt a deep sense of connection to them, even though he had never met any of them. And he writes, if only everybody could realize this, this, this sense of love for everyone that's around him. He was just filled. He was just flooded with a sense of love for all these people around him that he had never met. 
and remembering it, he writes this. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. I think it only appropriate that we pray for a moment in silence today. Oh God, as Merton saw that day, as you showed Thomas Merton that day. Surely the light of the transfiguration is within each of us. And it's the part of us that you see when you look at us. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.